I love microdosing. I love microdosing. Yesterday, I needed to go practice my drums and I popped a little microdose gummy and I'll tell you what happened. I drummed for about a good two hours. That's fabulous. Yeah. I was looking at our new roof, hoping that it wasn't going to leak and I got some anxiety about it. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to take a gummy just to calm down so I can go to sleep and not worry about this. And I did and I had a great night's sleep and I woke up and there was no leak. I've noticed a change in you for the, a positive change. I like to hear that. Yeah. I feel like your mood is like very centered. I'm sleeping much better. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just that right amount of good. And you can get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com promo code pants. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com promo code pants for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com promo code pants. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Pants. Who are we speaking with today? I get excited about all of our guests, but I kind of feel like I don't want to rate the guests, but I'm very excited about this. Not only for us to possibly get to know this person a little bit better than we already do, but also for the fans so they can get to know her better. Right. Because who we're talking to today is the brain behind this whole thing. It's Oz. We're talking to Oz. We're talking to Eileen Chaikin. We're talking to the godmother of the L, and no one has ever really gotten to know her the way we do. I mean, we have such a long, rich history with this woman that was so intimate. And we're having a, a reboot, a resurgence of our relationship with her. It's we're working with her again after all these years. It makes you realize how fortunate you were to be working with her to begin with, because she's truly one of the greatest people that I've ever, ever encountered. Yeah. And whoever came into our lives or we came into hers, Eileen changed both of our lives. I mean, we can be as frank as that, right? I mean, we wouldn't know each other if it wasn't for her. Well, there's that too. <laughs> so, I think our paths probably would have crossed but you do yeah I'm sure I mean you and I yeah yeah I bet we would have crossed paths but it never would have been what this is now no and now we're having a relationship with Eileen where before we were actors on her tv show and now we get to collaborate with her on a different level to be EPs on something and to have you know business phone calls and like <laughs> yeah but now now they're business zooms yeah business zooms exactly but for her to give us the opportunity, not only the first time, but the second time, and to let us in in even a larger capacity. It was like insane when she said yeah. that that was going to happen, that she was going to give us yeah. this responsibility. Yeah, that's something she did not have to do for us by any means. But I mean, what a compliment. It meant, it meant she trusts us. Yeah. And that's huge. It's huge. And also, Eileen is such a motherly figure. There she is. Hi. Hi, Eileen. Can you see us? <laughs> okay. There oh, we there go. You are. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, how you doing? I'm good. 
How are you? We're good. Good, Eileen. We're so excited to talk to you today because we were just saying to each other, (laughs) we were just saying that you get asked the same questions all the time. All the time. You must get sick of having to answer the same thing in different words. Don't get sick of it. But I want to talk to you about things that I don't talk to anybody else about because that's just who we are to one another. Right. Because Leisha and I were saying, it's like we have an intimacy, all of us, that no one understands. Because of all the time that we had together, that's something that you normally don't see with a showrunner. I would like to think that's true. I've never seen it with colleagues on a television show. We just, we we just have a a great relationship, collaboration, shorthand, and a lot of stories and experience. You were such an, an open door for us when, when it came to collaborating with our characters. And we were wondering, did that come organically because we were so annoying and we wanted to (laughs) involve ourselves in all the ideas of the arc? And you were finally were like, okay, let's, let's work on this together. Or did you go into the show thinking, okay, I've cast these women. They're who I've pictured. They're going to have input that I wouldn't otherwise think of. Like, did you think of it? Was it a plan or did it just happen over time? It wasn't a plan. It just happened. It happened mainly because I didn't know, am I allowed to curse? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Really? Oh, I had never done television before. I had never created a show. I had never run a show. There was no other show about women, about gay women. There were no rules. I just didn't know what I was doing. It was clear to me really early on that the women that we cast in the show who were now my colleagues were an incredibly smart, creative, talented group of colleagues. And I wanted your input as I needed your input. I guess that's what helped make all these characters so incredibly specific and unique. You were allowing all of the input from us. We got to barge into your office because you allowed that on a weekly basis with every episode. Because on the flip side, we didn't know what we were doing either. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We would just have these ideas and you said, yeah, let's hear what they are. I'll tell you if they're terrible. It's now clear to me and... I think it's especially true on The L Word and on the work that we did together. For me, it's been true on other shows, too. It's the best way to make really good television, to have an open dialogue, to have an open door, to answer questions, to hear ideas. That's how how it gets rich. I just want to say, Eileen was... Erin is actually the queen of workshopping. And for anyone who doesn't know what workshopping is, it's where you sit down and you hash out scenes or storylines with the writer, creator, whomever. You either see problems that didn't exist before, you discover something new. You were always so great about that. You would sit down with us at the beginning of every season and say, this is what I'm thinking. And had you pitched that to the network yet? Or was this something that you were just chewing on on your own and you wanted to get our individual takes on it before you took it to them? I would say that you were my first touchstones for ideas and stories. No, it's a constant flow. It goes back and forth. I tell you an idea. I ask you for an idea. I talk to the network who are also really good partners and really smart collaborators. I can name very specific things that we did on our show that came from each of you and in very different ways. I mean, Kate, we did an entire season of story for Shane that was entirely your inspiration and your idea. 
It's one of the favorite things we did. It was the story of your younger brother. Oh, God, right. You know why? Because I remember the way the season had ended prior, and I thought there has to be some sort of redemption. What is that? Uh, yeah, and it came from you. I mean, you came to me and said, I'd like to have a kid, like a brother or, or a sister. I just, I, And that led to the entire season of storytelling. Leash for you, it's much more specific moments. These are the things that writers are never supposed to admit. Best exchanges, the funniest moments, the best dialogue in the show came from you. And they weren't just, oh, she changed that line. They were entire riffs that went off in crazy directions. I had the ability to do that because you would cast credible partners. I can't remember one time I felt like I was acting against, you know, a brick wall. And when you have that and you have a showrunner like you that's allowing people to improv or, or something you've written and jump off the page, we if you give us the room to do that and you have a good partner, it, there's no stopping that situation. And it's so much fun. <laughs> it's fun for me and for the writers, for all the people that are making the show. I mean, I just love sitting on set, which we may never do again. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> watching something happen that I never imagined and being a member of the audience myself and just laughing and feeling excited by, by what we're making. In the grand scheme of things, we just got to like kind of kick back and just focus on our own specific roles and storylines, whereas you had to carry the burden of the entire show for the good things and the things that people didn't like. All of it came down on you at the end of the day. With characters dying or characters coming and going, whatever it may be, you took the brunt of that. I don't know if anyone's asked you this, but granted, we didn't have social media then, but there were message boards and people made their voices heard. Did that ever get to you and hurt your feelings? Oh, God, yes. It did? Yeah, of course. How did you deal with it? Because you were the, you got all of it. You got, um, yeah. Like virtual hate mail, pretty much. <laughs> For the most part, it's part of the gig. I learned from it. There's a lot of good and a lot of love that comes at you too. But, you know, sometimes it was nasty. Sometimes it got personal. And, um, you know, every once in a while I would get into a deep funk. You would. Well, yeah, I mean, I would like, and, and you can't react to everything. I mean, you can react to things that have to do with the show. When people start getting personal, or even when people just mm -hmm. say that was a bad decision, when they are talking about the story you're telling, you just kind of have to eat it, right? You just have to say, I'm not going to tell you about my personal life. I'm not going to just put all of that out there just to refute what what now amounts to, you know, crazy conspiracy theories. Right. For me to right. hear that, and I even noticed it at the time, it breaks my heart. And I also, I don't know how you handle that because this it wouldn't have been on the air if it weren't for you. I mean, didn't you want to tell people like, do you even know the hurdles I've jumped to get this? <laughs> To you even seen it to make fun of it or to see it to hate it or to see it you know we're only talking about the negative I mean it yes. obviously had way more yeah. love you had so much weight on your shoulders to represent everybody and it's just impossible uh, mm -hmm. it is impossible to represent everybody but it's also such a gift that we all had that burden of representation that opportunity to represent people that were never represented the joy of it and the gift of it far outweighed the negatives. The rant that you're talking about is the rant that you have alone in your kitchen. If you're lucky enough to have a partner, then they get burdened with it. And usually, you know, there comes a moment when they say, stop. 
Right. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I think at the time, for most of it, I didn't have a partner. And so probably I had a shrink. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> During that whole time, like you said, like you would fall into a funk. Did you ever feel like that you were misunderstood? Sometimes, sure. But as like long what? as... Oh, choices were sometimes misunderstood. For example, Carmen leaving the show. We got a lot of hate for that. And it wasn't something we wanted to do. Sarah Shahi had a two-year deal. I know. Can we please admit that? Sarah Shahi did not sign on for a third year. Yeah, we can. We can admit that. And we love Sarah. And she's a huge supporter of the show. And she would come back and play Carmen if, you know, if the right opportunity arose. At Mm -hmm. the time, she specifically made a two-year deal because she knew that she wanted to do other things. And... I could never say that. Yeah, yeah, no, Sarah was a mover and the shaker. She always was like yeah. going from one lily pad to the next. And exactly. it was time to hop off. I agree. We, mm-hmm. we couldn't say that back then. No. But like, okay, let's use like the big elephant in the room, like Dana, that like threw everybody into a tizzy. Did yeah. you feel misunderstood about that choice? No. Can you walk us through the process of that or if it was always Dana? Or- it wasn't always Dana. Obviously, it was the biggest story we told in that season and a hard story to tell and not a story that we told it lightly or frivolously. The L Word writers after the first season were a pretty consistent group. We always had someone new in the room, but it was mostly the core group. Rose Trochet, Angela Robinson, right. who else? Shereen Davis, mm-hmm. Alex Kondracki. We came back after a hiatus and several of us had been through things, those kinds of very big personal losses. Somebody even talked about losing a friend, a friend dying. And we talked about what that is in the gay community, the fact that we're one another's families in a way that doesn't happen as intensely in the world at large. We face all kinds of things. We come together as families in a more potent, powerful, tender way, but we also face things like getting excluded from certain things if there are homophobic families or parents that don't want to deal. And so it just seemed like such a great opportunity to really talk about how we form community. One of the first things that we all agreed, and this was in a conversation with Showtime too, was if we're going to tell a story about a death, about losing someone, it had to be someone we loved. Right, or it wouldn't have had that impact. Exactly. So it was a hard decision. It was a really hard story to tell. I've said this, I regret it, but I don't think it was the wrong choice. I mean, I regret it because I wish Dana was still with us. But I do think it was an important story. And you're, being, and you're getting tired of being asked that question as well. How many more, how many years later? But you're right. It was a potent story. You're absolutely right. It hit a lot of people. And it was well performed. I mean, it gave each of your characters and, and many others some of your most powerful moments. Yeah. Hopefully in this new iteration, we'll be able to explore that as well, because mm-hmm. those are things that never leave you. No, absolutely. I don't feel like we've scratched the surface with Alice of that particular loss. I agree. Yeah. I I think it's the deepest loss Alice has ever suffered. Absolutely. Yeah. We wanted to get to know Eileen, young gay Eileen. What? (laughs) Yes. 
Okay. Young gay Eileen. So you grew up in Philadelphia. I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Wait, where in the suburbs again? Cheltenham. Okay. You know where that is? I do. Because you're you're a Philly girl. I am. I'm a a city girl, but I know the suburbs. I went to high school out in the suburbs. I'm very well versed in that. Yeah. Kate is a city girl. She would have looked down on me. Yes. But you know what? You would have been scared to come into the city. (laughs) Yeah. What? Years yeah. were you a teenager? I mean, <laughs> sorry, it's no secret. I'm, I'm old, and and anybody who wants to know can That's can right. find out. So I was graduated from high school in 1975. I was a teenager in the late 60s, early 70s. Okay. So you were alive during the whole the civil rights movement. I was, although very young during the major civil rights movement. You know, alive during Woodstock, alive during the hippie movement alive during the first environmental movement and my long-haired hippie boyfriend was going downtown. (laughs) I might have said that with my Philly accent too. Oh yeah, downtown. I was planning to go (laughs) with him and my parents wouldn't let me go. Were your parents conservative? No. My parents were and still are in their 90s now great liberal armchair Jews. They've always been Democrats they believe in progressive causes, but they're very conventional. So how did they react to baby gay Eileen? We had a huge fight when I came out. We didn't speak for a couple of years. You still looked like a hippie, by the way. Because I had long, straggly hair. <laughs> <laughs> I came out personally after college. Probably had some inkling while I was still in college and I was at art school, you know, which was a pretty gay place. But but still, I didn't come out. I came to L.A. I was living with a guy that I had actually dated when I was in college. Oh, my God. He he had been my, like, briefly, my college boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) We're still friends and he's an astounding artist. But he's the first person that ever said to me, did you ever think maybe you were gay? What? How did he? Why? During sex. Oh. <laughs> so was he? Was he the first trigger in your brain? Kind of. <laughs> Were you like, get that away from me? Get it away from me. But then I came out here, and we became roommates. We had a little house together in West Hollywood, and he was dating a woman. She was this kind of raging feminist, so she brought all of this gay music into the house. As I was like just getting exposed to all of this gayness, I finally came out. I had my first love affair. Did you have an affair with no, her? not with her. <laughs> that lady? Oh, because she sounds hot. She, she was hot. <laughs> How old were you? 24. Oh, okay. So you were a late bloomer too. Where did you meet the person that you... Had an affair met? with? Did, did I never tell you this? That basically Mm-mm. the story I told on the L Word for Jenny was my story. The person I had an affair with was Marina. She owned the local cafe. Which one? It was called the City Cafe. It was on Melrose Avenue. Okay. It, it's a whole big chart-like <laughs> connection. It oh, was okay. this real little hipster cafe. I found out that the owners were gay, and I would just go in every night after work, and I was an agent in training at Creative Artists, and I would go in, and I would drink espresso after espresso, and my hands would start shaking, and she would talk to me. That so was that the was planet. the planet. Yeah, that, that was, was the planet. planet. How do we not know this? I don't know. See, I knew we were going to learn things. So did you have enough, did it last a long time? Or no, was it, it was short-lived like Marina? It was short-lived and it was very much like Marina in that 
We had this incredible love affair. She was my first. The way it happened was we were kind of flirting and building up to it, but I didn't really know that it would ever happen and I knew nothing about her. And then one day I was driving to a job interview and I got into a car accident right in front of her cafe. What? I'm, I feel like I'm watching TV right now. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> so, so I got into a car accident. She wasn't there, but I went home and she came over to my house and brought me coffee and cakes and asked me out to dinner. We were together for a couple of weeks. I thought that I was going to get married, that I had found <laughs> my person and this was my life. One day, like really, like into two weeks in or something, she said, oh, by the way, my girlfriend is coming back from Europe next week. This is literally the story. You took that whole yes. thing from your life. You're Jenny. I was, oh my I God. Was Jenny. This is a big... That's, this is a big moment. But I'm you, having a big moment right now. You know now. that there are a lot of things about Jenny that are not me. Well, no, of course. Mm-hmm. Whoa, I can't believe. You never shared that information. We've known you for this well, long. Well, there you go. I want to know what influenced you when you were young and gay and out of the closet, like television-wise. But there was no television that influenced me. It was It was my life and the world around me that made me want to make the L word. But where did you see yourself? Like Kate and I talk about how it was such a struggle to find ourselves on television or in movies. And I can't imagine years earlier how much worse it It was. was. It was more a struggle. I did a thing that I think a lot of gay people have done, which is I just kind of transposed gender and preference onto characters. I was madly in love with Lauren Bacall in To Have and Have Not. That was such a hot, yep, she's a force. That kind one, really. of I, I, yeah. performance. So, were you frustrated in a way where you were like, "I need to make, I need to fill this void"? Was it a conscious choice? I was frustrated, but it wasn't altogether conscious. I mean, it certainly never occurred to me that I would fill a void. I definitely had a drive to tell this story kind of the, a conviction that there haven't been very many good shows that depict love between women or sex between women or anything. And, and I think we did some pretty cool stuff on the L word. Yeah. You didn't even have Desert Hearts, right? I had Desert Hearts as a young adult. Desert yeah. Hearts was, to my thinking, the first really good hot lesbian sex scene. Mm-hmm. Even it with was. the spittle. <laughs> <laughs> you need a li- you always need a little spittle. So is there anything that you, are there any stories that you feel haven't been told that you're excited to still tell? So many. Mm-hmm. Because we've been so long excluded, non-existent, invisible, I don't think there's much chance that we'll run out of stories or that we'll overcorrect. Yeah. We can go on telling our stories for a long, long well, time. I hope we do. I, I do. So. I mean, I, I think that so. the thing that's still missing is more shows with gay characters, and especially with women, that aren't necessarily about, explicitly about gay life, but that really portray gay life. We literally had this conversation on one of our last podcasts. Well, I think I think we have the room to do that now because you and everyone else who's made gay content has gotten us to the point where we're like, okay, we know we know what it's like to come out. We know what it's like. Now we're just people, right? Like 
Let that be a backdrop. Well, it's just an element of your life. Like you go home and you see that person's, you know, married to a woman as opposed to a man and they have kids or they don't or they're trying. And it's like, okay, there's a drama at home, but then they have this whole other thing happening that mm-hmm. is, you know, the main plot of the story. Exactly. That's what I want. That's what yeah, I want. Me too. And then it's endless because mm-hmm. then you can just do anything. I mean, truly pick a subject and you could, you know, create a story from it. We'll do it. We are doing it. Yeah. Thank goodness. Well, thank God we know each other. Exactly. I say that every day. (laughs) Why did you realize you didn't want to be an agent? I never wanted to be an agent. I came to Hollywood from art school wanting to be a filmmaker, a writer, and a director. But after I went through the agent training program, then I got a development job. I worked for Aaron Spelling. My final job was working for Quincy Jones. I was the senior executive in the company. Quincy was amazing, but it was also just so intense and there was so much kind of Hollywood. It wound up being my crash and burn job. And there was this one Christmas, things were just really going south. And I went away with a bunch of my gay girlfriends and my then partner, the mother of my children. We went to Telluride and everybody else went skiing every day. And I locked myself in a room and wrote a script. And that's what the whole shift was. Mm -hmm. Well, I knew I was going to be fired. So I wrote this script, you know, an angry girl ragey script. And I came back and I gave it to an agent I knew who had actually been in Telluride with, with me that week and said, I'm no longer an executive. I'm a writer. Please get me a job. Wow. And in terms of Aaron Spelling being a major 90210 fan, I'm curious if 90210 was a show with fabulous characters living a fabulous mm-hmm. life, doing everyday things. And that's a, yeah. and, and dealing with real problems. And when you look at the L word, that's the same thing. In a way, I learned all of that from Aaron. I learned so much from him. And he was just so mm-hmm. wildly eccentric and fascinating. 90210 happened after I left Spelling. He was, you know, the king of television. He had dynasty, he had the love boat, he had the Colbys Mm -hmm. in a different way. That's what the L word was. It was a big multi-character melodrama. And I learned that from him. And in terms of Aaron Spelling, what did you do with him? Well, there were two projects that I did for Spelling that I'm really proud of. One won an Emmy, it was called Day One. But the thing that I'm most proud of was Twin Peaks which I put together. Wait, what? That was a spelling show. Wait, wait, wait. Twin Peaks was a spelling show? It was indeed. What? I had no yeah. idea. I thought, because mm-hmm. like, it, it just had David Lynch's name all over yeah. it. Yeah, I put it together. David Lynch developed Twin Peaks on his own without Aaron Spelling, but needed a production company. I just had this feeling that Aaron Spelling and David Lynch would get along. I'll never forget the meeting. I mean, just, I, I finally got a meeting between Aaron Spelling and David Lynch, and it was epic. Eileen, like this kind of falls in line. Eileen thinks of ideas five years or eight years prior to them becoming huge. You did that with our chart, because then came Facebook. We all know what happened there. Handmaid's Tale, remember that? Yeah, I do. And we all know what Handmaid's Tale is now. Now we get to add Twin Peaks to that roster. There was something else that you thought of before anyone else did. Well, there was also the sequel to The L Word that we did with Leisha, The Farm, which was- Oh my God, that's it, The Farm. And then cut to Orange is the New Black. Well, then with The L Word situation, were you just kicking around some ideas, but you said, oh, well, there's nothing out there. Let me just try to do it. Yeah, and it wasn't that I wanted to do television. It was that I wanted to tell this story about gay women, the way Mm. that 
they lived their lives was pretty interesting and it felt sexy and revolutionary. I just thought that people would want to see those stories. How many people, if any, turned you down before Showtime came around? I only ever pitched it to Showtime. I never took it anywhere else. I pitched it to Showtime. They passed. They said, that's ridiculous. Nobody will ever do it. Almost a year later, I brought it up again and everything had changed. And they said, yeah, let's. Why don't you write a script? It's kind of like what you did with the reboot, too. You know, you'd bring it up every now and then. It was a bunch of no's, and then Mm -hmm. one day it was a yes. Yeah, my timing wasn't always perfect, but for the L word, we always found our moment. Yeah, seriously, you nailed it when you nailed it. Wow, Eileen. We just really wanted people to get to know you and to see what we see all the time, the brains behind the, the visuals. Well, I love you both so much, and... I hope that we are working together forever. I'm not necessarily the brains behind this new show, but the four of us, you, Leisha, and Jennifer, and I were the the spark that made it yeah, happen. That's true. I just I'm so fortunate I get to work with you and I hope I get to work with you more in the future and Guys, we, we need to hang out. I, You're I, thought, like, I thought we had... I, I thought you knew me. Yes, you never shared any of it. It's because we always have so much work to do when we're together. I know. We get very one-track-mindy when we get together. What I don't think people realize, though, is that Eileen uh, is a master bread maker. Not only that, but a chef. Yes, yeah, serious, serious. I'm, I'm not much cook. of a chef, but my bread is getting better. I made bread this morning. Eileen, I'm just going to tell you this because I like to just spread the word. I love chocolate chip cookies. More than anything on the planet. Okay. Just put it in your back pocket. I think something's going to come of this leash. Eileen. Leash. Thank you for everything, every opportunity you've given Kate and myself. I adore you both, and, and it thrills me to see how you both have grown and evolved over all of this time that we've known one another. You were babies. Yeah, we were little babies. Mm-hmm. Especially me. Yeah. I was only 24. I know. Alicia, you were a babe. You were just under 30. I was a babe. In, in every way. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, Eileen, you are our yes. fairy gay godmother, no question. And we love you so, so, so damn and much. And thanks for doing this podcast. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Rachel. Yes. yes, thanks, Rachel. Yeah, and this is our chance to like see how important you are to us. And if it wasn't for you, none of this would be happening, including That's this podcast. so sweet and lovely. I adore you. All right, we love you. We'll, we'll see you at work. Love, love you. you. Okay. Ciao. Ciao. Bye. Thank you for listening to Pants, a podcast brought to you by Leisha Haley and Kate Manning. Please listen and subscribe on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want us to keep going, just hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at The Pants Pod. If you like us, leave a review on iTunes. I promise we'll read every single one of them. You can email us at pantspodcast at yahoo.com. Maybe even send a recording of your question and we'll answer a few every week. Well, most weeks. I'm Rachel Shelley. I'm the editor and producer over in the UK. Theme song is by Carolina Para from the band CSS. Graphics are by Love Fox. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. 
Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.